thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard. It can move anywhere. Raven, concentrate on Sam. Give priority to the detectors and the navigation systems. There is a corridor, and the corridor is time. It surrounds all things. On display, I eventually had to go down to the cellar. That's the display department. With a torch, the lights are probably gone. So had the stairs. You are just number six. I am not a number. I am a person. Welcome to British Invaders, episode 378. This is the podcast all about British science fiction television, and this time we are continuing our discussion about Torchy the Battery Boy. This is Brian from Canada. And this is Eamon from England. Hello. This is our roughly annual look at a Jerry Anderson produced show, and this time it is a black and white puppet show from all the way back in 1959 to 1961 with a charming mixture of puppet work in a sort of fantastical fairy tale type setting with a little bit of science fiction elements with a rocket ship and so on. Yes, it does. It's got that uh, science fiction moment to it, although it is mostly, I guess, slightly fairy tale and fantastical adventures. It's an interesting one, partly because it is so early and it's the coming together of that fabulously talented team that Jerry Anderson Productions would have working for them. Yes, absolutely. So as we've said, Torchy the Battery Boy is aimed at a slightly younger audience than perhaps the later Supermarination Fantastic Vehicles uh, shows from the mid-60s that we've covered in such detail. And it's got mostly its fantasy rather than the sort of technology-based science fiction of those later supermarinations. But it does, of course, feature that wonderful concept for children, which is toys that come to life and toys that have adventures of their own, particularly when they are separated from their children owners. So, yeah, it is a younger show, but great fun. There's some interesting concepts along the way, Brian. Yes, absolutely. Roberta Lee said that she didn't set out to write morality tales for children, but it just sort of naturally arose from the characters and the settings that she had there. And we sometimes see naughty children last time we mentioned bossy boots who abuse their toys and the toys are often sort of transported to topsy-turvy land as a sort of rescue for the toys but then the children sometimes go to topsy-turvy land and find themselves the same size as the toys and with sort of similar abilities to the toys. So it sort of puts the children in their place at times. And thinking about it, they must have had, I guess, for the main characters, Mr. Bumbledrop, Bossy Boots, and Torchy the Battery Boy, they must have had different sized puppets for the two settings on Earth and on Topsy-Turvy Land. I think they were doing that with worse perspective. I think it was where they positioned the puppets relative to the characters, Uh. that they would have the, the bossy boots puppet would be closer to the camera to seem larger. And then when they were on Topsy Turvy Land, that puppet would be in position with the others to seem at a similar size to them. I think that's what they were doing. Oh, right. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. And of course, not only are they the same size as their toys, but often the toys get to inflict on the children the similar sort of punishments that they'd been receiving on Earth. So there is a sort of 
a morality to the uh, the stories there's a sort of expectation of how good children are expected to behave which is possibly 1950s television perhaps brian it is that sort of feeling that you know the uh, educate and inform remit of television is to uh, not only just educate the kids but also to teach them how to behave yes it's very much of its time and yeah those kinds of attitudes are reflected in it and of course when while we mention attitudes we have to say that you know the past is of course famously a different country what it was acceptable then in terms of attitudes opinions depictions of certain characters has changed considerably in the uh, 60 odd years since this show first broadcast yes i think that's that's definitely true you have you know attitudes of corporal punishment towards children which were very different and you had you know the idea that the toys once they're able to push back they should be sort of fighting back against the children and so on so it is sort of a dated perspective even just with those things and of course there's the unfortunate character that i'm going to refer to as the golly who shows up in at least a couple of episodes with what we now see is quite clearly a fairly racist depiction and a racist you know the voice by kenneth connor is unfortunately rather um stereotyped and caricatured and you know a character a toy a feature on marmalade jars for so many years that was you know over the years we've come to realize is extremely problematic brian it's slightly unfortunate that it turns up here yes that's right and the um the way the character is written was a very bad stereotype of sort of the the cowardly black person and the voice that was that was done for it was sort of something from the um the era of minstrel shows and this sort of thing so that was not something that is there in every episode it was a small number of them but that was one of the the most obvious racist things in here and it was quite unfortunate it is yes and you know as we say 60 years on it does look rather terrible uh, when it shows up um but you know it would be still showing up on our screens on british television for decades afterwards not in the works of jerry anderson but in you know out-and-out minstrel shows and so on, and even appearing on our uh, uh, jam jars and marmalade jars as well, unfortunately. Um, The past, as I keep saying, another country, we did things very differently. Um, We have hopefully improved over the years. Yes. And there are, you know, some gender stereotypes and various things that, uh, that show up in here bossy boots was uh definitely a stereotype but yeah it's uh, the character you're mentioning was definitely the most egregious of what we saw in here let's move on to slightly more safer ground for us here on british invaders and talk about some spin-offs from this series brian yeah torchy the battery boy was a very successful series 
in its day. It's sort of a little bit lost to time now, but it was very successful. And Roberta Lee published a series of 10 books of Torchy stories. And I think some of those may have been used on screen. I'm not entirely certain on that. But 1960 through 1963, these 10 different volumes of Torchy the Battery Boy stories were published. And it also made it into comic books. Jerry Anderson shows would go on to appear in comic books throughout the 60s and into the 70s. And here, Torchy the Battery Boy appeared as a comic strip weekly in a paper called Harold Hare's Own Paper, which the Torchy stories ran from 1960 to 1961. I've never heard of Harold Hare's Own Paper or seen any surviving copies, but I dare say they do survive somewhere. Um, people may have them, may have seen them. You were not an avid collector of Harold Hare's Own Paper? <laughs> I was not, no. Uh, a little bit before my time, Brian, and uh, one that I was completely unaware of, but fascinating that you know it was already breaking out into other media from jerry anderson's work yeah and that's of course comic books and comic strips based on television stories would become uh, very big as time went on it's interesting to see it was happening with puppet shows so early in the 60s and there were also board games there were play suits cardboard models of the toys and the characters there's a torchy the battery boy pocket watch well done if you've got one of those in your collection and there was even a torchy the battery boy puppet from the very famous british puppets toy line pelham puppets that show up in antique sales and shops uh, quite frequently i've never seen the torchy the battery boy one i have seen pelham puppets over the years but wasn't aware of a torchy one but yes apparently they exist as well so it's interesting we think of toy merchandising based on film and tv as a sort of 1970s thing so it's interesting to hear about this type of thing happening in the early part of the 1960s and possibly you know we're not aware of twizzle toys we think this might be the first of jerry anderson's very successful merchandising of one of his shows to uh, sell into other mediums. So um, fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we should get into some of our own thoughts about this. So, Eamon, what did you like about Torchy the Battery Boy? So we have to qualify my remarks by saying this is a show for very young children from a very different era of television. It has got a certain charm to it, I think, and that it is got that fantastical fairy tale nature to the stories. And of course, the concept of toys that come to life and have adventures is just endlessly fascinating for kids. And we can see the charm of it. So the sort of concept behind it the slightly charming fairy tale nature of it all. I quite liked that part of it, Brian. What about yourself? Yes, it does sort of have some charm to it. I think it also, for its time, the puppetry, I think, worked quite well. They were already using the 
the bridge, as they called it, which was like a gantry that went well above the scene where the puppeteers would stand. This was something they introduced on Twizzle. So instead of having a painted backdrop with the puppeteer standing right behind the backdrop and reaching over the front, that's what Roberta Lee originally wanted to do with Twizzle. Instead of doing that, you could have the puppeteers up above the scene, which meant instead of a backdrop, you could have a set for the puppets and you could dress the set with scale things. And this had, you know, pretty decent puppet sets in it. And it had puppets being closer or further away to the character, the to the scene. You know, there was some depth there, and they could walk behind things. You know, behind trees and things. So for that time, you know, and compared to sort of puppet box type things. I think what they achieved visually was pretty good. It is, you know, as we say, it's early television made for televisions that were smaller in screen and of lower quality, so they could get away with stuff. But there is some interest in the whole... It's almost like an academic interest for us, Brian, and particularly for me, about Anderson putting the gang together, putting the team together that was going to go on to produce such stunning shows as Stingray, Thunderbirds and Captain Scarlet and the Mistrons. So seeing some of these people do their early work is fascinating, I found. Yeah, there's some historical interest in both the development of Anderson stuff but also in terms of puppetry and marionettes and seeing you know what they could what they could do at this point which I believe was far more sophisticated than what they could do than what anyone was was doing with marionettes only a couple of years earlier so that's uh, that's quite neat I have to say, I quite liked the character of Mr. Bumbledrop. I thought he was, while not a complicated or interesting character, sort of a charming aspect of this. And I just quite like hearing you say Mr. Bumbledrop, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's great, yes. Um, there are, obviously, it was a slightly in places preachy and moral sort of show that was very much telling children how good children behave and bad children shouldn't behave. Did that bother you at all in this? It did at times, and sometimes it was okay. How I view things for children's television in the UK or television that was at least partially aimed at children is that you sort of have before and after Doctor Who. Right. You know, when Doctor Who started, they were making, you know, real, more adult, interesting drama that could be watched and understood and enjoyed by children and that sort of changed everything and i for the jerry anderson things it was a more gradual change but this is still entirely in that pre-doctor who phase of shows that would more talk down to children rather than talking you know across to them and would have these sort of quite simple ideas and the morality tales would be delivered in a very straightforward way and there was a tendency to do things that would be a bit silly at times so you were still very much in that world for children's tv okay i'll mention a couple of difficulties one is 
the puppets and the walking and they do try to walk the puppets in this show they they can't rely on transportation devices as the supermarination shows would do later on they do try to walk the puppets and it is a bit well they're very puppety at times aren't they yes they are I think the camera work they could do was somewhat limited. So in some of the later Jerry Anderson shows, when you did have a puppet walking, they would sort of go to a close-up or, um, you know, a middle-level shot where you wouldn't see the, the puppet's legs doing the awkward walk. Well, they weren't able to do that in this situation. So you do see the awkward puppet walk and this was for a long time this was the challenge with puppets was to get them to walk and the other challenging thing at times is that roberta lee would compose these little songs that a character would sing during an episode you had notes about some of those performances, Brian. Yes, the music is interesting. I was glad that they included the songs in this. Unfortunately, the actor who voiced Torchy was just not a very good singer and, you know, performed with uh, enthusiasm and gusto, but not with great tuning. And that sort of main song was used as the theme music for the series. And that, I thought, I would have preferred to have something else used as the theme music, because that particular song that we would hear a lot was just not very good in how it was performed. Where when they had Flopsy the Ragdoll singing the Topsy Turvy Land song, I thought that was actually kind of pretty. It was no, you know, professional performance, but it was nice and quite pleasant and i was i was pleased with that but uh being the type of music person that i am uh i struggled with having the torchy song being repeated so frequently would you have preferred the paul mccartney or beatles version brian perhaps i haven't heard that <laughs> we shall have to track them down i, pr I probably would yeah um, I mean, there's obviously the one other, as you phrased it, egregious uh, problem with this show, which we won't go into any more detail we've already talked about. Was there anything else you had in the negatives column against it? Well, I had mentioned the stereotypes in general. It is written from a very sort of dated perspective as we see it now. And I do think Bossy Boots, both the character stereotype and the name uh, as the, the bossy girl, uh, I think that was sort of a bit problematic too. Uh, and various things like that were not, uh, were not ideal. Flopsy sort of forgetting things and being characterized as being not too bright because she has some stuffing missing uh you know there's a number of things that are not ideal uh and it's because of those you know they're what you might expect from that time but it's because of those that i would not want to show this to children you know to young children now even though that's who it was aimed at sure I, I also noted that, you know, for young children, one of the things that's quite good for them is repetition in stories, either read stories or broadcast stories. 
So there is quite a lot of repetition, it seemed to me, throughout the episodes here that becomes a bit more challenging to watch as an adult. It just seems like, you know, a lot of it seems to be the same stories told slightly differently in each episode. Yes, sure. You definitely uh, have some of that in here. And it was 52 episodes written by one person over apparently a relatively short period of time. So it does make some sense that you would have some repetition there. It's not entirely surprising. No writer's room then. Just Roberta Lee churning them out. <laughs> apparently so. Yeah. Anything else in the good or bads you wanted to say about Torchy the Battery Boy? I don't think so. Just to mention again that... As a historical thing, it's kind of interesting to see what they were what they were doing then and how this was developing. Yes, a fascinating document of its time. So we should get to our recommendations. Maybe I'll start on this one. And I'll keep it pretty simple. Uh, no, I wouldn't recommend this. I'm glad that it exists and it's there in the archives. But as a thing to sit down and watch and enjoy, no, I wouldn't recommend this. And there are lots of interesting things in the later Super Mario Nation things. If you're looking for a puppet show that has quite a young target audience, I would say look at Joe 90 instead. Yes, we're on the same page here. We don't recommend Torture the Battery Boy as anything other than a historical document i don't think you need to watch it i do think you need to listen to us talking about it so we can fill you in on some of the great details but i would say yes for a younger show look at joe 90 or just get filmed in super marination and this is super marination where you'll get the documentary but you'll also get brains and lady penelope introducing a uh, an episode from all the super marination shows so get that it's just you know that's just wonderful again ever but no torchy uh tricky one for us fascinating historical um artifact and glad that it exists like you brian but uh, no we're not going to recommend this one particularly to watch so in summary torchy the battery boy introduces us to the kindly old mr bumbledrop who is a toy maker who invites children to come and play in his yard and through a freak wind gust, we think, all of the toys and his pet poodle, Pom Pom, are whisked away to Topsy-Turvy Land, a faraway star where toys can talk. And in order to pursue this, Mr. Bumbledrop creates Torchy the Battery Boy, a toy that is a young boy powered by a flashlight or torch battery. And he is able to use a rocket that is soon built and will carry toys and children and even Mr. Bumbledrop himself to and from topsy-turvy land where toys can speak and children and adults are the same size as toys and all kinds of adventures are had there. 
Fantastical stuff. And if you've watched it, if you remember it, if you've got any of the artifacts, the spin-offs, if you are familiar with Harold Hare's own paper, then please come to the Facebook group and let us know. Absolutely. And please come back next time. We're getting much more up-to-date, a very recent show, and some quite hard science fiction in a way, adaptations of Philip K. Dick stories in a series called Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams from Channel 4 in 2017. And that's really going to get our heads scratching and have lots to think about, Brian. Yes, that will put us in a very different place for sure. Until then, you can find all of our episodes in the worlds of Jerry Anderson and elsewhere on BritishInvaders.com or if you search for British Invaders on Facebook, you can find our group there and join in with the various discussions and you'll also find us with absolutely no strings attached at the voice of geeks network at vognetwork.com for other shows and information about gaming and lots of stuff going on there the voice of geeks at vognetwork.com yes indeed so thank you for listening and this is brian from canada signing off yes thank you very much for being with us until next time Eamon in england also signing off <laughs>